you'll see all around the uh, room today, you see these signs of the different teams. These are what we call our CSTs, Celebration Service Teams. And um, that's how we operate the Sunday gatherings. Uh, As you probably have heard me say before, if you've been here for any length of time, uh, we don't believe the church is a meeting or a building. Uh, We believe that we're the church, you and me. And we always say it like this, Jesus didn't die for, uh, for buildings and meetings, he died for you and I. And so, but when we come together on Sundays in our celebration service, um, it, it takes a good bit to kind of really um, pull off the gatherings and, and minister to one another. When we first started doing it, we just, you know, Jamie and I thought we were going to do it all. And, and then she was like, look, I can't watch all these kids and do this. And, and so people started helping it and we created these teams. And so uh, what we'll have today, we have a little fair we call the CST fair. So right after service, if you can take about five minutes or so, I'll preach real fast and end as quickly as I can, especially if you plan on grilling out and uh and 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 then you can go over to their tables they have uh they just want to present to you what what uh what they do and maybe you can help volunteer and sign up with us uh most time i think most everybody serves about uh twice a month or something like that everything from the welcome team the guest services the cafe you'll see uh you'll see service logistic team you say i'm wondering what that is that's the old school usher uh, but there's some rapper named usher and so we don't want no usher up in here so we changed the name to a service logistic team, and, uh, and maybe if you want to be on the worship team or something like you have a gift to serve or to help or be a part with us, we'd love to get you invited with us. So afterwards, they've got, uh, they'll tell you about how to connect with them, and all of the leaders, for the most part, are volunteers. They're just people who love their church and want to make it great. So when you got hugged and squeezed real tight when you walked in the door, that was our welcome team. You said, oh, I'm a hugger. Good. Sign up for the welcome team. You said, oh, I don't like, I don't like, uh, I don't like the babies. Need, they need more loving back there. Oh, sign up for the kids' ministry. Come on, somebody. And so the Lord will help you and get you connected, and you can give a great service to your local body, and we can do life together. So with all that being said, <clears throat> I was thinking today, uh, I don't know if you realize this, but today, uh, what is this, January, what are we, 16th? 16th. This is, uh, this is in, the, in the last 20 years, there is more prayer happening today, January 16th, in the DFW area than has ever happened in the last 20 years in the DFW area. And the reason that is, is because the Cowboys need God to move, and there are people praying <laughs> like crazy. So since it's such a spiritual day, I thought we'd, we'd get a good word from the Lord today. And so I've got a key scripture, and I've taught you this. Um, if you'll memorize, write down, hold tight to the key scriptures that I give you every Sunday, uh, you'll end up with 52 scriptures that you know, kind of understand, and, uh, and they usually explain the, 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 the teaching. Uh, you'll know 90, 90% of Americans that call themselves Christians, you'll know more Bible than they do just by holding on to the scriptures that we give you as the key scripture. So with that being said, John chapter 16 and verse 33. Jesus' words, and he says it like this. He says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Would you say it with me together? Let's read it together. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the the world. Jesus, I pray for your congregation today, Lord God. I pray for every one of your sons and daughters that, Lord God, that this word, Lord God, would bring life to them. Lord, that it wouldn't be my words, but your words. And that, Lord, I would properly articulate what you wanted your people to hear and to know. Jesus, I thank you for the privilege to minister to your sons and daughters. Lord, I thank you, Lord God, that, that, um, that, that you are the king of this church. That you are the Lord of this environment, Lord God. You are the guest of honor. You are the special one that's here, Lord. And I'm just, Lord, I'm just your mouthpiece, Lord God, over the next couple of minutes. Lord, like an extension 
extension cord. Lord God, let me just be an extension cord plugged into you on one end, plugged into them, and your power flowing through me to touch them, oh God. Father, we thank you right now in Jesus' name that the word will do what it's supposed to do. In Jesus' name, and everybody said amen. Uh, this passage of scripture is beautiful to me. It's Jesus' own words, and he says it like this. He says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And, 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 and he's, but he continues on he, with an exclamation mark. He, his next statement is, but take heart. I picture him saying it real passionately. Hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. But take heart. That's kind of how I see him doing it. And then he goes on to say, he says, for I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. You know, I, I think sometimes, especially when you see some of these preachers on TV, uh, they, if they don't mean to, but they accidentally sell a bill of goods. In other words, they promise us that if we'll become a Christian, everything will be amazing. Um, that is true on one, in one perspective in that, yes, everything will be amazing because Jesus will be in the midst of all of the trouble. But he never promised that we wouldn't have trouble. In fact, he promised this, just the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will have it. He says, but take heart because I've overcome it all. All of it. I got it all. Take care. Just ride with me, baby girl, because it's going to be all right. That's kind of the perspective here. So as we jump into this today, I've titled this teaching today, I've titled it Overcoming the Storms. Would you say that with me? Overcoming the Storms. And I believe that each and every one of us need to be prepared, strengthened, and understand how not only to go through the storms, come on somebody, but to get to the other side of the storms. And they embrace the fact that in this world, you will have trouble. And to know that that's a part of life and a part of Christianity, but take heart for Jesus has overcome it all. And so with that, let me set the precedence of this next passage that we're going to read by reading John chapter 20, verses 30 and 31. In John chapter 20, uh, John being one of the four gospels, John makes this statement towards the end of his book. And he says in verse 30, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. How many of you believe that Jesus is the Christ? Amen, me too. And he says, and by believing, excuse me, uh, by believing you may have life in his name. That Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So there are four Gospels, which are uh, the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those four Gospels, as we call them, those four books are about the life and teachings of Jesus, what Jesus did when he was on the planet, what he taught, what he believed, what he said. And three of those books were, uh, were personal disciples of Jesus. Luke was not, as we, as we see it. Luke, though, had firsthand witnesses and accounts of what transpired. And so the book of Luke is written even more from him being a doctor from a perspective a little bit more detail. But in this book, in John, John says, listen, I want to tell you something. I've recorded some key pieces Jesus did a lot of miracles while we were there with him. I mean, crazy stuff. He said, but these are written down that you may believe he is the Christ. And that by believing that he is the Christ, that you will have life. Now, I'll put this definition on the screen. He's not talking about life in the, in, in the fact that, that your heart is beating, that you have uh, blood circulating through your system, that you have brain activity. He's not talking about life like that. He's talking about the very nature of Christ. That by believing, you would take on God's supernatural nature. That, that these things happened, these miraculous signs have happened, and I've recorded these special ones, that when you hear them, see them, and recognize them, you would believe not only that he's a Christ, but that you can have his divine nature working and abiding in you as well. Friend, I want you to know something. There are a lot of storms in this world, and you need God's nature in you, through you, ministering to you to be able to make it through this life. Isn't that true? Say yes. And so, John uses the word 
miraculous signs. He doesn't just say, I've recorded a bunch of miracles. And everything that you see in Scripture has very significance to it. He said, I recorded these miraculous signs. Now, you know what a sign is when you're driving down the highway. The sign tells you what's about to come. It gives you understanding of what you can expect. It points you towards something more than just the highway that you're on. Signs, uh, you, you know, they, they talk about the, the guys who are meteorologists, meteorologists, thank you. They say they can read the signs and what's happening in the clouds and what's going on with the fronts that's happening. They can tell you what's about to happen because they can read the signs. What John is saying is, I've given you some miraculous signs because they have something about them that you can apply to your everyday life. I love theologians. I love people who love the Bible. I love people who, who have these great doctrinal debates and things like that. But at the end of the day, they frustrate, frustrate me because many times I feel as though they misappropriate God's word. See, God's word isn't here so that you and I can be smarter than everybody else. It's here so that you and I can apply it to my everyday life. Like, dude, that's awesome. But how do I keep from killing this little kid that somebody has dropped off at my doorstep, i.e. my wife? How do, I, how do I go to work every day with a bunch of perverts that I want to just murder? How, that's what the Bible is supposed to do. His word is supposed to give you the ability to be like Christ. And these have been recorded so that you might have his supernatural nature applied to your life and working in and through you. Isn't that good? Say yes. So because of that, John mentioned a number of supernatural signs. He records a number of them. But I want to I focus in today on the passage where Jesus walks on the water. And so if you will, turn with me in your Bible. So John chapter 6, and we're just going to camp out with this passage for the next few minutes. John chapter 6, verse 16 through 21. And if you, uh, if you haven't been in church in a long time, this, the Bible will come alive to you as we kind of illustrate it today, and I hope it makes sense to you. In verse 16 of John chapter 16, again, if you're dyslexic, that'd be 61.6. No. All right, verse 16 says, And when evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, where they got into a boat and set off across the lake for Capernaum. Now, uh, by now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed three, uh, three or three and a half miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were terrified. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. And they, then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where, uh, where they were headed. Heading. Okay, now let me put this, let me tell you what it just said. They're in the middle of a storm. They're about to die. Jesus walks on water. They let him into the boat. As soon as he takes a step in the boat, they're no longer in a storm, but they're on the shore. You Star Trek fans, they were translated. How stinking cool is that? That is just sexy as all get up. That's my Jesus right there. I mean, listen, you're in the middle of something? Let me in your boat. It's gone. Done. What else you need? This is my Jesus. Come on, somebody. Are you with me? Say yes. And so because of this miraculous sign that's recorded, what I want to help you do is unpackage that so that you can see the pieces that you and I can apply to our life. Are you there? Say yes. Come on. You can say yes. Better than that. Say yes. Now, again, Matthew, the book of Matthew and the book of Mark, both record, along with John, this passage and what transpired here. Luke does not record it, but those other two, the other two books do as well as the book of Luke. So let's start with the lake. It says, and they got in the boat and they went, started to cross the lake. Now, this is uh, the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. And it's, it's five to six miles wide and 15 to 16 miles 
long. A little bit bigger than Joe Pool Lake, I'd say, by a little bit. In fact, that's why they called it a sea. It's like a baby seat in their mind. So it's very big. It's, very, it, it, it's got some really deep parts. And they get into this thing, and they begin to get into this boat, and they go, go across the lake. They're without Jesus in the boat, rowing. I don't know if they have sails on this particular boat or not, but you've got 12 dudes in a boat, rowing, trying to get across. We know they're rowing because it says they were. They're trying to get across the lake. Now, the question is, why did they get in the boat by themselves? They're always with Jesus. Why did, did they get in the boat by themselves? Because Jesus told them to. In fact, Jesus put them in the boat and sent them on. So the backstory on that is right before this passage of Scripture, if you'll go back and read the book of John as well as the book of Matthew and Mark, they actually record what has transpired is Jesus is on along the seashore area and all the people come from that area. They all come. It's Jesus, it's Jesus. And that's the place where they didn't have any food. And so Jesus had them sit down. And remember the story where he fed the 5,000? He took the five loaves and the two fish and he handed it to the disciples. They broke it and gave it away. And by the end of it, it had multiplied to the place where 5,000 plus people were eat, had, had eaten and they, they had 12 baskets left over. It's supernatural. And in that moment, when the people saw that, something supernatural happened in their heart. They, for the first time, didn't see Jesus as a good teacher or a good preacher or a godly man. They saw him for what he was, God, the Messiah. And when that happened, when that moment happened, they began to try to, try to grab Jesus and the disciples because the disciples were the one handing it out to them. And as it was growing back and they're handing out more, the disciples, it's coming out of their, from their hands to the people. So they're looking at them like little super gods too. And they recognize Jesus is God. And in that moment, they're going to try to set them up as kings of the earth because it had been prophesied the Messiah would come and he would reign and rule. And so they were expecting him to be like an earthly king, if you will, that he would literally destroy the Romans and set up his government and, and that these would be his assistant, you know, presidents or whatever you want to call it. And in that moment, Jesus said, get in the boat, go across the lake. Go, go now. I'll dismiss the people. And so he puts them in the boat. He sends them on their way. When Jesus puts them in the boat, there's no evidence that there was a storm. There was no evidence that there was a storm coming. It was peaceful waters. Jesus was keeping them from getting caught up in the hype. And he's going to send them off. And then he says he dismissed the crowd. And what he basically does, he goes up in the mountain and says, guys, we got to go. We love you. God bless you. I got to go pray to the Father. We'll see you a little bit later. And he goes up on the mountainside away from all the people. And they don't want to climb the mountain or whatever the case may be. And as the disciples are obedient to God, after having one of the most miraculous moments of their life, as they get out in the middle of this lake, and it says they were about three to three and a half miles, which is what? Halfway there. As they, the, all of a sudden, it starts getting dark, and the winds start coming, the clouds roll in, the sunlight is gone, and all of a sudden, it's probably late in the evening by this point, as the scripture says, it's dark, there are clouds, there are waves, and it starts crashing down on them. And most, uh, mo- multiple of these guys had been in the fishing industry, so they knew you don't get out on the water. When these kind of clouds come, you will die. You don't go out on the boat in the middle of the lake in the middle of a storm. And so they're stuck in it without the ability to get out of it. And that storm is raging. Come on, it didn't sound like any of your life. All of a sudden, they're caught up in something they never planned on being in. And Jesus is the one that sent them into it. Jesus is the one that they were following, and they got themselves in this situation. See, I know, I know this life story really well. Jamie and I loved the Lord for ever since we were young. And we came on staff at a great church in Louisiana. And we were youth ministers, and, and, and God was doing great things. And we were loving it. It was miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. When all of a sudden, a storm started raging in our life. A storm of discontentment with our pastor, with us. And before we knew it, we were caught up in what seemed to be the most 
horrible moment of our life. That's where they find themselves. They find themselves in what could be the most deadly moment, deadly situation. And in the middle of this moment, they are doing what Jesus told them to do. It says they are rowing. Can I help you with something? You ought to write this down. When you find yourself in the storms of life, just keep doing what Jesus told you to do last. Just keep rowing. Just keep rowing. What I find is people, the moment life starts sucking, they quit on God. They'll stop going to church. They'll stop going to small group. They'll start loving. They'll stop loving people. They'll stop reading their Bibles. They'll stop talking to God. They get all mad because a storm is in my life. I thought that if I served you, that I would be blessed. And this is not blessings. This is miserable. I'm married to a man that I don't even like, much less love. I I am working a job that is not my calling and my purpose. Life sucks. Listen, they've told me as a pastor. I'm just standing there. Okay. You're in a storm. What do I do? Mm, Just keep rowing. Just keep rowing. Just keep doing what you know to do. The last thing he told you to do. And as I'm Jamie and I are going through this with this church. It comes to the end, and they basically kick us to the curb. And it broke me. It was everything I knew. It was where I was comfortable. It was where God was moving. Now, we're fleeing to Dallas. We don't know the people here. We're going to work with a church. We don't even know the pastor. And we're just running for our lives away from what was a terrible enemy. But in the midst of that, Jesus came out in the midst of our storm. He got in our boat. And we're your pastors today because of a storm from 16 years ago. And we wouldn't have been here. Come on, somebody. So note this. Storms can be good. Because Jesus will never leave you or forsake you. And he says, I'm with you always, even to the very end. But the problem with most of us is we fall into a fear moment like they did. If you look back in the passage, it says, as they're rowing, and the storms and the waves, and it's dark, verse 19, and when they were rowed three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat. Now, you've got to understand, people do not walk on water. Go try it today. Jesus is walking on water. He's not walking For a hundred yards. Come on now. How far did it say they were? They were three to three and a half miles. He is walking on the water to them. He's not walking on still water with some rocks under it. It's a storm. I'm from Louisiana. We don't go out in the storm. That's how you die. The water. I mean, there is, there is, it's winds and waves. And he's walking to them. Can you imagine? It doesn't compute with their brain. They're like, and the Bible says in the book of Matthew, they think it's a ghost. It's a ghost! Can can you imagine? They're rowing. We're going to die. They're rowing, you know, and and Judas is back there trying to get water out of the back of the boat with his little cup, you know, and they're rowing, and they're yelling at each other, you got us into this, you suck, man. And they're back, and they're mad at each other. When all of a sudden, the lightning hits, it lights up the darkness, and all of a sudden there's this person walking towards them. And rightfully so, they went, ah! So, you know, they're rowing, and they're like, ah! So they start rowing this way, you know, because it's a ghost. 
That's how they think. That's what they perceive. Can I tell you something? God will send you miraculous answers in the midst of your storm. But because we're so carnally minded, we can't see it. Because we're so used to fixing our problems ourselves by how hard we row and how intelligent we are and how hard we work. And as a result of it, there's a moment in the storm where you have to come to your senses and realize that the spiritual things do not make sense in the natural world. That God will always be there. The question is, are you willing to receive him the way he's willing to come to you and me? Because what we want, we want it our way. I want you to do it my way, God. I want you to fix it the way that makes sense to me. And so what you and I do is in the middle of storms many times, we start trying to figure out how to get out of it, how to fix it in and of our own strength. And that in and of itself is a broken place in Christianity. It's a place of immaturity. But God wants to mature us today and teach us not only to embrace that Jesus can move in the middle of a storm and fix us, but also so that he can do something so supernatural. See, you don't, you don't have a right to have a testimony if you haven't had a test. You, you can't be, you can't, have a, you can't have a miracle without a problem. Are you with me? You can't be an overcomer if you haven't overcome something. And everybody wants to be victorious, but nobody wants to fight anything. You can't be victorious without an enemy. You, you can't have breakthrough without some type of horrible situation to break through. This is the beauty of our life as Christians is that, yeah, yes, you will have trouble in this world. But take heart because I've overcome it all. What you and I need to do is get the overcomer in our boat. So that in that moment of over, uh, the supernatural man of God, the God man, comes into our life, our boat can be on the other side of the storm. And even if he leaves us in the storm, he's sitting there with us. There's another passage where they're in the middle of the storm and Jesus is sleeping down in the bow of the boat. And they're like waking him up, like, you know, we're going to die. And you don't even care. He's like, ah, ah, you have little faith. Stop! Cricket, cricket. I'm going back to sleep. Get us on the other side. <laughs> he, listen, how he gets us through the storm doesn't matter. The fact of the matter is, is that he's in our boat with us. And so as he walks up to the boat, they are so terrified that he himself has to speak to them. And says, hey, it's me. It's Jesus. I'm not a ghost. What's wrong with you dummies? It's me. And then they, they're stuck with a moment right there. They've gotten a word from God. But it doesn't make sense to them. Because naturally, this can't happen. This is where faith comes into play. And they ha- they're stuck with a moment. Will we let him into our boat? Or we continue running away from that which is supernatural, that we do not understand, that we do not embrace? Some of you grew up in denominational environments that told you anything supernatural was fake. I'm so sorry that you had that experience. I've seen blind eyes open. I've seen the broken marriages healed. Only God could have done it. Only God could have done it. It's only God. And to resist the supernatural by way of hard work will only leave you sitting at the bottom of the sea. You must embrace that Jesus wants to do miracles in your life. And you got to get him in your boat. Are you with me? Say yes. So let me give you the process that I see transpiring here. You guys have been magnificent. Look at the process that transpires here. The first thing that happens in our lives, and we see, we can kind of derive it from this situation, this whole process. The first thing we see is a spiritual attack. So you and I experience a spiritual attack. Now, if I could help you, the greatest 
in my life, and as I even see it kind of commonplace in this story, what I seem to, to have experienced is the greatest spiritual attacks come after my greatest victories. And so if you know that going into this thing called Christianity, then you can be aware. Would you not do that? When your team scores the touchdown, does not the other team go, oh, well, we just ought to quit. They're too good for us. No. They make the greatest counterattack they can come up with. You've got to understand spiritual matters. They had just, they just saw the greatest miracle of their life. It, it was more than just an individual having their eyes open. Thousands of people experienced a supernatural miracle at one time. That's undeniable. They saw the bread grow back. They saw the fish come back. They saw it with their own eyes. That's why they wanted to make him Messiah. And that in and of itself, wanting him, determining that he was the Messiah, was the greatest. That's what Jesus was on the earth to help them see. I'm the Messiah. And in one moment, finally, they all get it. And then, the greatest spiritual attack of these disciples are. They're about to drown. They're about to die. Can I just tell you something? When you are experiencing something great, watch out for the enemy to come back around with the greatest spiritual attack that you've ever faced. I've, heard, I've had people testify, Pastor, we just saw our whole family get saved. And then last week, my wife was diagnosed with cancer. I said, what? It's the way the enemy likes to work. So the first part of the process that I see happening, and we can connect it to this passage, is spiritual attack. The second part of the process that we see happening in their lives, and many times in our life, is in the frustration in the natural. We become frustrated in the natural. Frustrated. In the natural. The Bible says it like this. He says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Do you know that word resist is better translated in the Greek, frustrates? God frustrates the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. See, if you're frustrated in life about something, it's because you're prideful. That's what it is. I just can't, it's just, it just ain't working. Mm, that's because you're trying to do it in and of your own strength, and God's frustrating you because you're trying to do it in the arm of the flesh instead of the arm of the spirit. For it's not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. I find myself frustrated at times. And I, then I realize, wait a minute, I'm trying to do this in my own strength. Lord, it's, your, Lord, it's all you, Lord. I'm not going to live frustrated. He said the joy of the Lord is supposed to be our strength. Why are you frustrated? You're frustrated because you're full of pride, because you won't humble yourself and say, I just need help, God. I just need you in this situation. I don't know what to do. I'm agitated. I'm in the middle of a storm. I can't get my way out of it. I don't know which way to go. And that in and of us, I see this with men especially. Because they're the head of the homes. They're trying to, they're trying to provide for their families. Their, their wife wants them to be better Christians. And she wants them to pray over the kids. He don't like praying over the kids because the kids won't listen when he prays. He's trying to do all this. He don't know what to pray. He reads the Bible. makes no sense to him. And so all these pieces are, he's in the middle of the storm. And he's got all this going. And he won't just cry out for help. And because of that pride, sir... Ma'am, me, you, all of us. As a result of that, that storm continues raging. That whole process is frustrating because we can't do it in and of our own strength. And then the third thing that will happen, as we see with, with these disciples, the third thing that happens is that a mental and emotional anguish will take over. Why are they scared? Jesus raises the dead. He's the Messiah. Why are they completely scared to death? I'll tell you why, because now they're under mental and emotional anguish. It doesn't make sense to them. So then they start saying things, come on, you know what I'm talking about. God, where are you? You come to church, it's so funny to watch some of you guys come in. Man, how are you doing? I'm okay. Really, you don't look okay. It's been, it's been tough, you know, been tough. Yeah, just been tough. 
And you're under all this mental anguish, all of this emotionalism. It's so funny. It's so funny to watch. It's amazing. And I tell people all the time, listen, and when you get in that moment, you'll start, you'll start being mad at everybody. Everybody. Everybody's, everybody's the problem. Everybody is the problem. Nothing's good enough. You start critiquing and criticizing everybody. Can I just tell you something? Listen, eventually it's going to be me. It's going to be your spouse. It's going to be the Lord. It, it just, why? Because you're in the storm. You're in the storm. Life stinks. It's a bad moment. In this life, you will have troubles. But take heart. I've overcome them all. And if you will then do what we see happening in the next part of this whole process, I'll show you quickly the way out of this storm as we see the disciples responding to what Jesus was doing. The first thing that we see they do, number one, is they got a word from Jesus. Can I tell you something? No matter how big the storm is, no matter how many times you feel like you've been in the same storm, go get a word from Jesus. You don't need a word from the preacher. You don't need, you don't need a word from your spouse. You need a word from God. What does God say? Jesus says, it's me. I'm here. Let me in the boat. It's me. I'm here. Book of Matthew says, he speaks to them and he says, take courage. Take courage. It is I. He's trying to give them courage. He speaks courage into them. Out of the book of Matthew in this passage, in this, in this moment. Can I tell you something? Do you have a word from the Lord? See, I'll just, I'll give you a great example of that. So, so we were, we had this church going. The Lord told me to do it. And I just knew if I was obedient, if I let go of all my traveling and all my international influence, and I just said, okay, I'm going to put roots down in Cedar Hill. I'm just going to love people. I'm just going to do a church. I just knew God was going to bless it. Man, we get into this thing, and it stinks. Nobody's coming. Nobody's getting saved. Nobody cares. The guys who did, they just loved me because they felt sorry for me. That's the, only, that's the only reason they came to our church, I'm telling you. And we, were just, and we just didn't know. And it was just so frustrated. I was so frustrated. I was like, God, you've abandoned me. You've left me out here in the dark and the storm all by myself. The guys in the boat with me, they're just as scared as I am. They don't know where to go. I don't know where to go. I'm supposed to be guy rowing. I don't know which way to turn us. I'm all scared to death. I was, I was so frustrated with the Lord. And then the Lord spoke to me. Because I kept telling the Lord, I'll go anywhere you want me to go. I'll do anything you want me to do. Anything to get out of Cedar Hill. Lord, whatever you want me to do. I just, Lord, I'm available to you, God. I'm just available. What I'm saying is I'm available to get out of this junk and go do what you, because you've made me great. I'm supposed to be great. This is not greatness. This is not greatness. This is suckiness. This is not what you made me to do. And the Lord spoke to me, gave me a word. He said, stop being a pot plant. What? And I had this picture in my mind. You know when you go to the real fancy hotels, they have those giant trees in the middle of the hotel lobbies? Big ones, big ones, like 20, 30 foot tall, some of them. But they're just in a big old pot plant. He said to me, he said, listen, until you put roots down, you'll never bear fruit. He said, you can look pretty. Everybody go, man, that Pastor Adam ministered in our conference. It was amazing. And everybody can think you're so cute and so awesome and you're such a man of God, but you'll never bear real fruit until you put roots down. I'm like, but it's Cedar Hill. I said, okay, Lord, I'll do it. And in that, when I got that word from him, it all began to change. Here's the next step in the, in the, in the way out of it, and that is you have to redirect your will. See, I had to redirect my will. I had to say, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. I'll let you into this situation. I will redirect my will. See, here's the beauty of, of God. He does not force his will on you and me. I don't know why he made us like that. I wouldn't have done it. You'd all been robots if I, if I was God. Y'all would be worshiping me. But he didn't do it. He gave us a choice. He gave us the ability to say, I don't want God. I don't want him in my life. I don't want him to be the Lord of my life. I'm the Lord of my life. I don't care. I don't care what you think. I do what I want to do, how I want to do it. Live how I want to do it. 
I always tell people, listen, your problem's not drugs, your problem's not sex, you're not perversion, all that. Your problem is sin. You love you more than you love God. You want what you want more than you want what God wants for you. That's all it is. When you surrender that, it'll be easy. And that's what I had to do in my life. And I keep having to do it. I have to redirect my will. Lord, not what I want, but what you want. That's a will statement. Not my will be done, but thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, not what I want, but what you want. Lord, I just, I, it's all yours. I'll do it. Whatever. And the moment they begin to redirect their will, so first they got a word from the Lord. Second thing they did was begin to redirect their will. And look at the third thing. They took action. They led him into their boat. They led him into their boat. Jesus, come get in our boat. Jesus, come get, they, the Bible actually says they helped him into the boat. And the moment his feet, can you imagine he's walking on the water? And the moment he gets in their boat, they're on the seashore. Can you imagine that? How cool is that? Can I tell you something? You've been in this storm, some of you, in the same storm battle with your physical ailment, with this relationship going on and on and on. And what I would do is I'd go back and get a word from God. So I have a word. It's not working. Then I would change my will. God. Tell me who to go repent to. This is where most people won't do it. God will give you a word, and then in that word, he'll tell you, you need to go make it right with this person, you need to go make it right with that person. We're like, nope, nope, nope. Do you know what they did to me? They deserve to die. I'm going to tell you how carnal of a pastor I was a couple years back. I was so carnal because someone did me dirty, 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 dirty. I found myself praying hemorrhoids on them because that's a scriptural principle. It happened in the Old Testament. I'm serious. I'm not being silly. I was praying. It, was, it happened in Scripture. And the Lord slapped me upside the face, and he took me to the, you know, to the Sermon on the Mount. It says, and pray for those who despitefully use you and abuse you. Love them who talk evil about you. <laughs> Redirecting my will and then getting him in that boat. And once he got in the boat, look at what happened. God did miracles in our life. It will happen in your life. Are you with me? Say yes. Come on, you can do better than that. Say yes. So let me give you the three life lessons to seal it out, and we'll start closing out so you have time to go visit the tables for each one of our CSTs and see where you might would fit to help us. First life lesson from this passage is you need to continue obeying God's will, and he will bring you through every storm. Just continue obeying God's will. Say, Pastor, it's not working. I'm rowing. Well, now cry out for a word from him. Give you a word. And then change your will. Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. When he speaks to you, make it right. I tell this story all the time, but I, I love this story from uh, Joel Osteen's mom, Dodie Osteen. Uh, years ago, she was diagnosed with cancer. I mean, years ago. I think it's like 30 years ago. She was diagnosed with cancer. They took her everywhere. Benny Hinn laid hands on her, nothing. Doctor said, there's nothing we can do about it. It's all throughout your body. You're going to die. I mean, and here they are. They're, they believe in healing. They believe in prosperity. They believe in the power of God. And here, his wife is dying of cancer. And, uh, and so they don't know what to do. So she's sitting in her time of prayer with the Lord early one morning. And God says, I want you to repent to the people who've done you wrong over the past. And gave her ten names. Junior high school, called them fat, whatever. whatever, whatever. And she wrote down ten names. And she said, Lord, I'll do it. I'll do it. I, I want to make it all this right before I die. I'll do it. And so she, I just want to be right, Lord. I don't want to have anything in my heart, any bitterness, any unforgiveness because what people did me dirty, people who left their church and talked bad about them all when she was trying to love on them and stuff. So she went down through the list. She called every one of them. She had to track some of them down because it was back from high school days. Tracked them down, took her, took her weeks and met with each one of them, either by way of phone or by way of personal invitation if she could get to them. And she told them, I want to repent to you. I, I, I hated you in my heart. You did me dirty. And I, I, was, I was not right in that. I want to repent to you. I want you to forgive me. And I want to forgive you. And made it right. She got through the first ten. God gave her ten more names. She's like, dear God. 
She went through those 10 names. He gave her 10 more names. At the end of the 30 names, I think it took her like six months or so, when she got to the end of it, she went back for her review at her doctor and she didn't have cancer anymore. Her testimony, not mine. You know, bend your will to what he wants. Get him in your boat and he'll start doing great things. Continue to obey God's will. He'll bring you through every storm. Number two, one word from from Jesus will end your terror. You just need a word from the Lord. Stay or go, right? You just need a word from the Lord. You just need a word. We had a couple that was in our church. Before they came to us, they were in another church. And this young man, I knew him well. And he'd grown up in church. And, and uh, he married this little gal. And they had two kids together. But this kid was a good-looking dude. I mean, he was a good-looking good kid. And he always struggled uh, with, with adultery, basically. From the time they were married, he started cheating on his wife. Had multiple girls going on the side, things like that. She never found out about it. Two kids later. Go to church every Sunday. One Sunday, she, the wife is sick and she can't go, so he takes the boys to church. He's sitting about halfway, almost to the back row. And the preacher's just preaching a normal message, a normal thing. And God speaks to him. Speaks to him. You are a fake. You're in sin. You need to repent. And he was gripped with the consciousness of his sin, of being an adulterer being a fake Christian. He goes running to the front. The pastor, I don't even think, gave an altar call. I think is how he said it. He got down on his knees and started repenting. And God just broke him. He felt the life of God for the first time in his life. He felt God flowing through him. He was so excited. He got the kids in the car. He was driving home. And God said, now I want you to tell your wife what you've sinned against her. He said, oh yeah, no. She will leave me. And God says, if she does, she does. But will not have hidden sin in the union called marriage he said God three days he said no no and heck no by about the third day the spirit of the Lord won out he finally bent his will he got a word from the Lord he bent his will and he sat her down and he told her and as you would expect and rightfully so she was horrified broken destroyed just destroyed this sweet little gal what did she do she she left went stayed with her parents and was planning. She said later, I was never going to go back to him. I was going to get my kids. And never got, I had a biblical, I had a biblical right not to go back to him. He had been adultery against me. And, uh, and she said, and God spoke to her and said, forgive him. And I, I interviewed them. Actually, uh, we have their story on our website. And I interviewed, I said, you, and you did it? <laughs> she was like, it was supernatural grace came on me to forgive him. I took him back. And can I tell you something? That little couple has one of the greatest marriages. They are ministers of the gospel. And they came to us a couple years ago and said, Pastor, God's calling us to be missionaries. I said, to where? They said, Hawaii. I said, what? I was like, I think he's calling me too. Let's go. He's <laughs> the Lord. Da, 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 da. I feel the glory on that. <laughs> I was like, you're crazy. And he's like, no, we really, so we prayed about it for, I don't know, six months, nine months with them or something. Finally, we, we heard from the Lord too. They're supposed to go to Hawaii. They've been ministering in Hawaii. They're doing great. Their marriage is so strong. They're so beautiful. They're such, I mean, they pray for people that get healed. They're so legit. But it took a word from God. And that word from God, he obeyed. And then from that point forward, God got in the boat with him. And he got him through the storm. Are you with me? Say yes. The last and final lesson that I will tell you again. Number one, continue obeying God's will and doing, and he'll bring you through every storm. Number two, one word from God will end your terror. Go get that word. And number three, take him into your boat. You got to take him into your boat. So if he wants me, he'll come bust up in my boat. No, he won't. No, he won't. He gave you that free will. You've got to ask for him. I need you in this storm. 
Some of you keep trying to fix it in your own strength. You're trying to make your marriage better. Y'all tell me that all the time, Pastor, I'm just trying hard. Why? Just get Jesus in, the, in your boat. He'll fix it. He'll tell you what to do. I'm just trying. I'm just trying. I'm just trying. I'm trying to be better. I'm trying to do better. I'm trying to go to church more. Friend, listen. Get Jesus in your boat. Just get him in the center of your world. And as he gets in your boat, your place of safety, your place of comfort, your place of transportation, your place of your life's substance, when you get him in there, I promise you, he'll walk you through every storm. He'll be there in the midst of it. Would you stand with me all across the room quickly? Set your Bibles, your notebooks, your spouse, set them down. It's like, how did he know? I want you to close your eyes and bow your heads with me for just a moment. As you've got your heads bowed and your eyes closed, this is a word for the Lord, from the Lord for many of us in this room today. Some of you have been in some storms. Some of you have been in some storms that seem like they've lasted 20, 30 years. Seem like they'll never go away. You've been trying to fix it in your own strength. You've been, you've been like, I don't understand why. I don't understand what's happening. Friend, let me just tell you something. Get a word from the Lord. Understand that storms are inevitable. In this world, you will face trouble. But take heart, I'm with you. That's, what, that's the promise Jesus gave you. Storms are inevitable. But you cannot, you cannot be a hero if you haven't overcome something. You can't, you can't, you can't minister to others and help others if you've got nothing to tell them. Jamie and I, as you know our testimony, we've lost three babies. They died in the womb. And at first I was so mad at God. But then I got him in my boat. And I said, God, uh, whatever happens, my life is not my own. And now when Jamie and I pray for people who are having miscarriages or can't get pregnant, they get healed. They get healed. There's a grace there because I've been through it. Are you there? There's a strength there because I trusted him in the middle of it. God's doing that in your life too. Don't run from the storm. Just get Jesus in your boat in the middle of the storm. And it'll all be okay. Whatever you're going through today, whatever, whatever's been transpiring, here now with your head bowed and your eye closed, I want you to ask the Lord, say, Lord, come into my boat. I want you to ask him, say, Lord, give me a word. Give me a word so I know that you're there. Admit that you've been doubting. Admitting that you've been wondering if he even was real. Go ahead and be honest with yourself. Go ahead and admit that you've been prideful. You've been trying to do it in your own strength. You keep rowing, keep rowing, and you're not going anywhere. And you're mad at everybody. You're frustrated. That pride is kicked in, and you're like, I don't know why you're not fixing it. You're mad at God. You're mad at me. You're mad at everybody else. You're mad at your spouse. Just humble yourself right where you're saying, say, God, I, I can't do this. I can't fix my marriage. I can't fix my job. I can't provide for my family. I can't, I can't be good. I keep going back to that old sin. I need your help. I need you, Jesus. Speak to me. That's what you need to do right here where you're standing. Head bowed, eye closed. I want to give you a place of, of intimacy with the Lord for just a moment. That's why I have you close your eyes. We, we want you to be able to talk to God without interruption, without, without being distracted. Now, as you have your head bowed and your eye closed and you're talking to the Lord, I want to call out to others of you in this room. Maybe you're here today and the truth is that you're not a Christian. That if you died today, you, you wouldn't go to heaven. If you're real honest with yourself, you've never let Jesus in your life. Never, he's never been in your boat. He doesn't even know what it looks like. Friend, I want you to know something. He's not mad. He loves you. He's been chasing you through the storm to try to get to you so that you would let him in. And you keep trying to do it in your own strength. This is your day. Stop rowing away from him and let him into your life. Maybe you say, Pastor, I used to be a Christian. I used to serve the Lord, but you know what? Be honest, those storms happened, and I just kind of went away from God. I separated. I divorced him, I guess you could say. I didn't realize it was happening, but it has. And I'm not confident if I died today, I'd go to heaven. I don't even know if I really know him anymore. Friend, I got great news for you. He's right there on the bow of your boat. 
This is him speaking to your heart right now, saying, come here, let me in, let me in. Come on. You say, well, what do I do, pastor? What do I do? The Bible's real clear. Confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that he is the Christ, the son of the living God. He'll cleanse you from all unrighteousness. He did it already. He did it. You don't have to. You say, well, I'm still sloppy, though. I'm still messy. I know. I know. But he's in the midst of the mess with you now. That's what he wants to do. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're away from God or you've never been a Christian, would you let him in your boat today? Could I pray with you? I won't call you forward and embarrass you. I won't, I won't try to get another notch on my belt or something. I just want you to know Jesus. I just want you to be able to make it through the storms of life. I just want you to spend eternity with your creator and your savior, Jesus Christ. With no one looking around, if that's you and you're ready, say, Pastor, I'm ready to humble myself. I'm tired of being prideful. I want Jesus in my life. With no one looking around, if that's you, quickly lift your hand. Say, that's me, Pastor. Pray for me. No one's looking. God bless you, sir. Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. Anybody? Yes, ma'am. I see your hand. Give about three or four more seconds. There you go. Thank you. Come on. This is your moment. Don't push him away again. Here's your moment. He's at the bow of your boat calling out to you. Will you respond? Thank you. God bless you. I see you. Anybody else? Thank you, ma'am. Thank you, sir. God bless. I see you in the back. Thank you. Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you, sweetheart. Thanks for being real. Thank you. I can't stand to be around people who are fake. Thank you for your honesty. Anybody else? Pray for me, Pastor. It's time. I'm ready to be, I'm ready to let Jesus into my boat. Friend, he'll fix it all. You keep debating whether or not you can change. No, no, you just need to get him in your life. He'll change it all. You keep trying to figure out how you're going to be good. You can't be good. I couldn't be good. But God changed me. He wants to change you. Anyone else? One second left. Quickly lift your hand. God bless you. I saw it. You can put your hands down. Now, I want to lead you in a prayer of repentance. That's what we're going to do. We're going to say, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I've, I've not let you in my life before. Or I'm sorry that I walked away from you. And he's going to respond to that. And I'm going to lead you in that prayer. In fact, I'm going to get everyone in the audience to pray it out loud with you so you're not by yourself. And I want you to mean it. Those who lifted your hand, mean this prayer. Say it like this. Say, Jesus, today I surrender. My life, my desires, what I want, I surrender. And I ask you, come into my life. Get in my boat. Stop these storms. Cleanse me from my sin. Write my name in your book of life. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I promise to serve you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. Keep your head bowed for a moment. Father, I pray for those who lifted their hand and said that prayer. Lord God, I thank you. Right now, they'll feel your peace. Right now, oh God, though the storm may still rage, they'll know that they're not by themselves. That you are their God. That right now, that that prayer wasn't just something to, to, to make them look, feel good a little bit today. They meant that. They want you, God. And may they sense your response. May they know that you climbed up in their life. Got aboard the, the, their, their, their boat, Lord God. And that you're with them. And Lord, may they sense the peace and joy. May they walk out of this place today with their shoulders back a little bit. Their chest stuck out a little bit. Saying, God loves me. He's with me. I may not be perfect. I may be messy. But God's in the middle of it with me. He's going to get me through the storm. Father, I thank you right now for the peace that surpasses all understanding. Would you reach over and grab the hand of that person next to you right now? And as we close, as we're going to wrap this moment up, I need you to pray for the men and women on either side of you that the storms of life would not shipwreck their life. That they, that they would see Jesus at the bow of their boat and that miracles would happen. Would you begin praying just for a second, under your breath or out loud, wherever you're comfortable. Father, we pray for every man and woman in this congregation. Lord God, Lord, there, there are men and women that I love dearly that are in such a storm right now. Lord God, I just pray peace, peace to their emotions, humility, gets all the pride to think they can do it in their own strength. God, come run to them, jump into that situation, heal that marriage. Lord God, deliver them, Lord God, 
from that insecurity. Lord God, remove the, the lust for that addiction or that, that situation sexual. Lord God, Lord, fix, oh God, that financial thing that's just tormenting them. Lord God, that fear that they can't be a good dad or a good mom or a good, a good son or daughter. Lord God, fix it all. Get up in the middle of that storm, oh God. Quiet it. And Lord, may we have great miracles. And may we be able to tell others, yeah, I was in that one one time. It almost killed me. But Jesus got me through. Father, I thank you for your graciousness and your kindness to those of us who call you Savior. In Jesus' name.